I did it because there's really no other explanation other than he did. So I want to talk a little bit today about the radically transformed church. The radically transformed church. We have been talking about radical transformed lives. Um, it's what's in our mission statement. So we are taking every week. Last week we talked about what it, what it is to be in the radical pursuit of God. We talked about we need to be radical about repentance. We need to be radical about his name and his word that just when we open up his word that it should just have impact on us. We need to be radical about our experience with him, that Christ is being unfolded in us so that we can be a light to somebody else, so that we can share our experience with them. Being radically transformed. Back in 2004, there was a man that hit the internet. He hit... I mean, he was everywhere, worldwide. His name is Tony Horton. How many of you guys have ever heard the name Tony Horton? He is the man that pretty much set the world on fire with P90X. Came out in 2004. In 2007, I had moved here from California, moved right next door to Morgan and her family. Um, Kevin, her dad, became one of my fast, dear friends, a neighbor across the street, Corey. We all got the bright idea that we wanted to do P90X. And so we, we got those discs, we had a TV in my garage, cleared it out, made everything ready for us to do this P90X, all for the reason, the hope of transforming our bodies. Guys, we, we shut the garage first, just to make sure our neighbors, whatever, but we got in our boxers and we took pictures, you know, standing forward, standing sideways, hands out to the side, backwards, you know, and just to see at the end of the 90 days, how do we look? What's been the transformation in this? In, and so here's the thing. This is the truth. When the 90 days, this 90-day commitment that we went through was over, um, I was the strongest I think I'd been in, in my life. Did I have the same endurance of a, when I was in high school and college? Probably not, but I was strong just from head to toe. It was a different type of strength. And the thing that I remember about it was, was that it was a long painful process. And, and when I say this, I mean we bled, we cried, we made ugly faces, lots of noises. Um, we wouldn't let each other miss if we were sick. I can't tell you how many times I worked out with a 100 degree temperature or I had the stomach issues and I'm running in the house every 10 minutes. I left the garage door halfway open all the time just in case somebody needed to run out and throw up or something like that. But it was a painful process. Let me say it this way. In P90X, there was no shortcuts, okay? Now, when it was over, there was a huge transformation. I used to, we had a neighbor across the street that used to laugh at us because she would go, I had never heard three grown men make so many noises in my entire life. She used to laugh at us. But when it was over, she came over and asked, what is this that you're doing? Because I'm thinking about doing it myself. Because why? Because they could see that there was a transformation. Although there were no shortcuts, they saw the results. We live in a culture that is obsessed with finding shortcuts to achieve their ultimate goals. Think about this in higher education. We have people, um, man, students in graduate programs that are using AI to write their papers for them. We know for a fact that people will pay tens of thousands of dollars to have somebody go in and take the test for them. You can go online and find as many fake diplomas as you possibly want just so that you can seem to somebody else that you have achieved higher education. 
Everybody wants financial stability, except they don't want to work. They don't want to be mentored. They, they, they want to try to attain wealth, but they have no work ethic. They just want a yard full of money trees. Everybody wants to have that body and be transformed into heaven, but there's no commitment. They want to find it in a pill or if they can take a shot or if there's something in a drink that they can drink, but, but it will not buy them that type of a lifestyle change. It takes a commitment. There's no shortcuts. When you talk about relationships, it's like we've got this culture coming up, and it's all about sex. There's no strings attached. There's no commitment. But somehow, they still want to be respected, and, and they don't want to feel alone. But the constitution and the value of marriage between a man and a woman has become loose. Men marrying men, women marrying women. You have this culture of young adults now that are going into marriage, and they've had many polls on this to where they, they go into the marriage already, already uh, anticipating the divorce because they see it as a test drive. We have to be very, very careful that we don't get swept away in loose thinking. Everybody say loose thinking. We don't want to be a part of this, and it's already infiltrating the church. We have young people, when you're talking about the institution of marriage, that they are convinced it's okay to sleep with each other before they get married. It's not an issue with them anymore. We have to be very careful we don't get swept away in how people are trying to devalue. Even more today, they're trying to devalue the church. Every day, Satan is strategically attacking this foundation of who we are, of what we need, and our calling. And I want to fight against this. I want to stand in this pulpit, and I want to declare this morning that the church of Christ and the house of God still stand strong. Amen? We talked last be- week about being radical and, and, and dealing with repentance. And, and here's the thing is, is that Jesus' entire ministry began and into, ended with a calling of repentance. It was John the Baptist. My, my wife referred to this. John the Baptist is standing out at the Jordan. He's in the wilderness, and, and, he's, and he's saying, repent for the, kingdom, uh, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's where we see in Matthew 4, 17, it says this right here. That he's baptized, he's been anointed by his father, and it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the purpose of repentance was to shift us from one reality to become aware of another. The kingdom of God is, let me, please receive what I'm about to say. The kingdom of God is measurable. It's real. That there is, there is power in the kingdom, and it is now. It's for every one of us. Can I get an amen? That's that, that when we come into the greater reality found in Christ, that everything begins to change, that we begin to transform so much so that the world has to take notice. In church, we get to be a part of this plan. Radically transformed to help trans, to, to, to grow the kingdom, to expand the kingdom of God, and to be engaged in kingdom work. The enemy will rise up and do anything and everything to try to stop us, but, this, but, but it was so important to Jesus and to, 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 to us and for us, the church, that, that first he had to somehow convince his disciples of the same thing, that you can be radically transformed. 
And one of the greatest stories that we read of this, you know, when we read the story of uh, Jesus taking the disciples up to the church, of, uh, up to um, Caesarea Philippi, what happens is, I've been there, but back in that day, they, it was lined with gods everywhere, worship tabernacles and a and a, uh, the, the pathway to hell was there. They had this thing that they would do sacrifices. There's all these gods. There's all this false worship going on. And Jesus takes his disciples up there, and he's basically asking them, who do you say I am? In front of all these other gods, who do you say I am? That's usually the focus of the story. But the transformation part of this is something that I want us to read, and it's found in Matthew 16 through, uh, 13 through 18. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and, or, or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, you, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Now, let's stop for a second. Simon's name, in his Hebrew name, part of the definition of his name is, is, is his name means this, like sand. I've heard, of, I've heard a pastor one time preach that his name meant weak as sand. I, don't, I didn't find that in the concordance. I didn't find that in the Hebrew or in the Greek, but, but I did find that it's like sand. Now, let, let's keep going. And because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, Kepha, which means rock. Now can you already see the transformation he's doing with his name? He's going from Simon like sand to Peter or Kepha like rock. And he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. Everybody say my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What? And an amazing already start to a transformational experience is that God comes into his life, Jesus himself, and he says, you are no longer going to be known as weak as sand or like sand, but you're going to be the rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Isn't that amazing in 2024 because of this transformation that took place? Here we are sitting in the church. We are his church. We are his bride. We are his people. Come on, give me an amen. Jesus was setting into motion transformation. Jesus is proclaiming transformation. He is prophesying transformation over Peter. He's saying that you are no longer Simon, son of John. You are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Here's the amazing thing. It doesn't matter what our mothers or fathers were or what they are right now. God has a specific plan for each and every one of us with our own destiny, and he gives us all a calling and a purpose. Give me an amen. So it's important for us to see this in Scripture. Radically transform lives. Man, it sounds really good. You know, it's on our sign out there, and it actually has a really cool font. You know what I mean? And all that, all that stuff, it can look really good and all that, but it doesn't mean one thing. Listen to what I'm about to say if it's not happening in this building. If we're not seeing radically transformed lives, we are meeting for nothing. It has to happen in the church. We are the church. This was not just for Peter. Jesus is letting the disciples know that the world is about to be set on fire, and it will be a fire transformation that will become his church. 
my church. He said, it's my church. You are the church. And the power of hell will not prevail against us. Amen? Is it still important to us? Are we fully stepping into this reality as a believer that Jesus can bring this type of instant change, that we are the church, that it is important for us to be in church and to gather together? You know, I was at a minister's meeting for the Assemblies of God. It's a few months ago, and I'm having conversations with some of the men there, and and. And what they're telling me and what they're sharing about some of the other brothers that are, that are in the AG with it throughout Virginia is this right here, is that they're still struggling with what COVID did to the church back in 2020, that people are still not coming to church. And let me say it this way. They said they have become addicted to pajama worship. Let's look, let's look what Hebrews 10.25 says. Was this Paul that wrote this? Who was the writer? I'm not sure. But the writer said this. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. Another translation says even more so. Basically, any time we can get with the family of God because he is coming soon. That's what he's saying. So the questions are this. Here's two questions. Is it lost or is it loose? Has it become lost or is it loose? And I say this because anything that gets lost, it first has to become loose. When um, I, I, I moved here in 2007, as I said, and... Um, I think since I've been here, we've had about four or five really good snow dumps, okay? Like really good ones where, you know, there's this much snow on the streets. And, and the last one we had was in 2018. And so the tradition is this. We pull out the Highlander. We tie a rope. And Sky, Morgan, Ryder, me, Laura, and we take turns getting on the snowboard. And we pull each other around the block. It's like a half-mile block. And just to give you a little taste, and this is, this is what we do. Here, here's me right here, short, really quick video. And <laughs> so I'm getting pulled around the neighborhood. There's no better way to get around the neighborhood on snow than on a snowboard. And um, as you can see um, here in a second, there's two things that happens. First, I wipe out, and then watch how long Lori takes to stop for me. Watch this. There, I go down. Like, dude. I think she went home. She didn't even know I had fallen. I, I didn't, it was terrible. So, so here's, what, here's what happened. We get, everybody takes turns. We finish the day. We have some dinner. Morgan's spending the night, and we, we usually don't want her to, but she was that night. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> and so anyway, so um, I get up the next morning, and Lori goes, hey, can you run to the grocery store and get some stuff? You know, the snow, we're probably going to be in for, you know, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll go out there. And so I get in the car, and I start the wallet tap, you know, like, where's my wallet? I realize I don't have my wallet. And so I go, I'm, I'm like, I go back in the house, I wake everybody up, I go, I even told all, everybody, the kids, I said, look, I'll give you 40 bucks whoever finds my wallet. Everybody's, everybody's looking, you know, everybody's looking for my wallet, can't find it. So I go outside and I get in the car and I go, I think I must have dropped a snowboarding because I knew I had it in case a cop said, what are y'all doing? And, you know, and, all, and so uh, I'm driving around, I'm looking, I can't see it, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, where were you wrecked? Where you crashed? And sure enough, guys, look at this picture right here. I found my wallet embedded in the snow. 
It was all safe. Come on, give me a praise, God. That's good, yeah. <laughs> what was lost was found, you know what I mean? And, 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 he, and here's what I want to say, and I say this because have we lost our ability to understand when things are becoming loose in our lives? Have we lost our ability to understand truth, to understand or desire for true worship? Have we lost our minds to, and I mean, have we given our minds over to the world so much so that we're allowing the culture to dictate to us what is important and what is not? And I would argue no. Because of Christ, we are not a lost people. This is a true story. No judgment. I'm just telling you this happened. I was, I was an associate pastor at a church um, over in, um, in Chesapeake that um, was, we were over 3,000 people at the time. And my pastor, at least 10 or 12 times a year, would get up and greet a congregation and let everybody know that everybody's welcome because we're just a church of crackheads. In the the first time he said it, it just didn't resonate in my spirit. I'm not a crackhead. <laughs> we're, we're not a church of perverted people. You know, does everybody understand? We're not, a, we're not a church of the emotionally unstable. Listen, since Jesus came into my life, I am a bride of Christ. I have been set free. I am a child of God, and I have purpose. But what happens is, is even somebody speaking that into you, what's it saying is, you can just keep making mistakes. There's no radical transformation. No, nothing has changed. But I want to say this, that nothing can separate me from God's love. Listen, I am not lost. I'm not going to be lost forever in my sin. But we have become loose. We have become loose in what we're allowing in and what we're allowing out. And God is looking for a radically transformed church. Give me an amen. amen. Harvest, when things start to become loose in our lives and in our faith, this is what I want to say to you. You need to start tightening your grip on God. You have to tighten up on your convictions. You have to tighten up on your prayer life and getting into reading the word. And if you want to fix what's loose spiritually in your life, you're going to have to tighten it up. Because as soon as things start getting loose, and, and what I'm talking about is when, when, when you get loose with truth or what is right and what is wrong, you start getting loose with your faith, with your convictions and your standards, all of a sudden now you're doing things that you swore you would never do. You're in places that you would swore you would never go. And if we get loose with our lives, it's only a matter of time that we will find ourselves lost. And I want Harvest to be a church that is full of the radical, transformed life. Lives and lives of people that are experiencing this radical change. Well, what is transformation? What is the word? How, how does the word define it? Well, one of the go-tos is in Matthew 17, 12. Look at this. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This is Jesus with a few of the disciples up on Mount Tabor, and he transfigures before them. Well, that word transfigure is metamorphal. And the simple definition is, is to change into another form. You're, no, you're not the old person anymore. You're, you're brand new. It's new. And then you go to 2 Corinthians, and Paul in 3.18, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Again, transformed is metamorphal. Transfigured, transformed 
It's metamorphal. It means there's a change. You are changing to a completely different form. Resisting the world, let me say this. Resisting worldly thinking doesn't simply mean avoiding certain behaviors. In fact, I would say this. It's possible to act right and still not be transformed. Guys, I did that for two years after giving my heart to Jesus. I had my Bible. I'm showing up to Bethel Temple. I'm listening to Lori's dad preach. He would actually sometimes to end his sermons, he'd be up here, and he'd be, praise God, and he would throw his Bible to me, and I had to catch it. <laughs> I was always awake. I was always ready to catch Pastor Wilkerson's Bible, you know. But there was a period where I'm acting right, but the change hasn't fully taken place yet. It is you and I becoming a new man or a new woman. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to fully transform you, fully renewing your mind, fully committing your life to this transformation process. Again, church, no shortcuts. Everybody say no shortcuts. There's no shortcut in this thing called faith. It is a commitment. What was old has been transformed to what is new. It's God-breathed. It's God-anointed. It's God-designed. And while you're pursuing this transformed life, you are never alone. Living a, a consistent life for Christ is not something that we have to do alone. We get to do this together because we are the church. We are his bride, and God puts people together, and God puts people in our lives to help us. God has given us his spirit so that we can pursue this transformed life in Jesus. So I have two quick thoughts. I promise, I promise. Hold it to me. Okay, hold, hold, hold me to it. All right, two quick thoughts. And the, and the first thought is this. To see this in your own life, to see this in the church, you must have a transformed mind. I, I've heard many sermons when they talk about transformation when it deals with the uh, the caterpillar and the butterfly. And um, amazing messages. In fact, Pastor Brad sent me one of his just to pull some information from. And I was like, dude, this is, this is deep caterpillar butterfly stuff. You know, I was like, wow, you know, Greek and Hebrew are flying everywhere. And I'm like, and, and, and but this is what I want to say to you, just to keep this a little bit shorter. The job of the caterpillar, his job is to eat. That's what he does. That little guy, a little girl, whatever, they, they're down there, and that's all they're doing is eating. And as they get bigger, they're shedding of themselves. And they keep eating, they keep getting bigger, and they're shedding of themselves till they finally get mature enough to develop this silk cocoon that they can get in and become the ultimate goal of their life, to become the butterfly. And it's not, here it is, there's no shortcut. And it's not an easy transformation. Have you ever thought about that, about with the, with the caterpillar? They have to somehow live through the elements, birds, other critters that like to eat them, ants, getting stepped on. Back in 2022, my son graduated from Regent University before he went off to vet school. And uh, here's a pic of uh, me and Lori with him. And you can't see it in this picture, but there's trees that line the entire promenade. What, I mean, it's just surrounded by trees. So we get there at 530, it's still light, and I'm hustling down there to get some good seats. And as I'm getting closer, I hear women going, ah, ah, and guys are swatting and all this other kind of, and I come up and I've got this look on my face like this. I'm like, and the guy turns around, he goes, bro, he goes, sit in the middle because the caterpillars are falling out of the trees. And I look up, and there's hundreds of caterpillars just falling out of trees. And so 
I, and so I hustle and get into the middle and get us some seats. And guys, listen, we're in the middle of the ceremony. I mean, it's quiet. They've got these awesome speakers from around the world speaking. And you'll hear a lady go, ah, and, and jumping, you know, and, and swatting and, and running and, and in the middle of the ceremony. And, and in fact, one landed on my arm because the wind blew him all the way from the trees and landed on me. And I wanted to throw it on Lori, but I knew that was not a good idea. And so I just I set it on the chair and said, we're going to move on. And I really believe that this is why Paul is pleading to the believer to have a strong, transformed mind. And listen to what I'm about to say. So that the wind of culture doesn't blow us wherever it wants to blow us. That we're not just going to survive. We are the church. We have been built upon the rock. And our master is Jesus. Give me an amen. amen. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphal, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Conformed we are con means we are conforming to another's patterns, that we've fashioned ourselves according to what's around us. Where biblical transformation is we are transformed into the same image of Christ. We become Christ-like. Conforming is from the outside in, where transforming is from the inside out. Can I say it this way? It's going to come up on the screen for you. The conformed mind will ask a temporary world to fill and satisfy its needs, where the transformed mind will ask an eternal God to fill their heart and mind and soul, that they would be filled and made new. One is everlasting, and the other is temporary. How many of us understand that the heart and mind of a man and woman are not the same what we read of in the Bible? It's not the same. And I'm not talking about differences between men and women. I'm saying that there is a heart and mind that are different, but they work very, very closely together. Let me give you something else that I don't know if this will make you feel uncomfortable or not, but this is truth. I'll hear what I'm about to say. My heart is good. It's good. I know who my Lord is. I'm serving him. No demon's going to come in here and, and, and convince me. They can't take my joy, this whole thing. But sometimes my mind's not doing so good. Come on. And this is where we start getting loose. Okay? And, and, and this, is, this is really what, what, I, what I'm, I'm trying to address. And Jesus addresses the heart. He says this in Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so, so check this out. Then King Solomon brings them both together. He says this. For as a man or he thinks in his heart. So there it is. Mind and heart. So he is. And basically what that's saying is, is where the mind goes, the man or woman follows. Even Peter, as amazing as his ministry was, just think about what Peter did, what, what Jesus used him for. Even Peter had to continually give his heart and his mind over to Christ because even Paul had to confront Peter. In Galatians, this is what we read, Peter is ministering to the Gentiles. <clears throat> he's eating with them, you know, the uncircumcised. He's, he's fellowshipping with them. He's doing things with them. And then all of a sudden, and in fact, the, the new Jewish believers that are in that area are seeing what Peter's doing, and they're loving it. So they're, they're making friends and community and this whole thing. And, and guess what? Some old cronies from Israel or somewhere show up, and all of a sudden, Peter, just so he doesn't have to explain 
what's going on, he decides, I'm not going to hang out with these people or eat with them while they're here. And Paul goes, don't do that. Because you know what happened was? The result was, was that the Jewish believers conformed to Peter's way of thinking. Come on. So we have to be careful in this. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed. Everybody say renewed. In the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Renewed is ananeo. Ananeo, check this out. Look at this definition. Renew in the mind, right? But look what it says. To be spiritually transformed to take on a new mind. Metamorphal ananeo. They, they work together. It's all talking about transformation of the heart and mind. Oswald Chambers said this, beware of harking back to what you once were when God wants you to be something you have never been. Look, harking is not a word we all use. But what he's saying is, is don't get trapped in something in the past. Don't keep your eyes on something that used to hold you because that's old you. He wants to do something new in your life. Isn't that great? You're no longer the same. You're not the same person you were before Christ. Jesus helps us with our transformation. It's not always going to be easy, but the ultimate goal is to live, to live now, right now, while we're still breathing, that we can live a radically transformed life. Here's my last thought. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Let's give them a hand. Let's just so thankful. Once you've allowed Christ to transform your mind, the thought is this, is that you will pursue a transformed calling or an appointment. Transform mind, transform calling and appointment. I don't have a Matt story. I don't have somebody else's story that I think would tell what I'm wanting to say here better than God's word. So I want us to go into Luke chapter 8, and I want us to read probably one of the greatest transformation stories we read of. And here's what it says, starting in verse 27. Jesus has crossed the Galilee, and it says that when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, he fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound by chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and would, was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, let me stop there just for a second because I want us to capture this was going on in Old Testament or New Testament times, and it's still going on in 2024. The enemy loves to torment us, and the way he can do it is, is that the way he attacks us is if somehow he can isolate us. What we know about this de demonic man, the demoniac, was that he would live in tombs. He was, he was taken out into the wilderness, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with us now. He wants to bind us. He wants to run us off so that we'll be isolated, so we'll feel like nobody cares and nobody loves us, and he's still doing that same thing to us today. <clears throat> Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, which in that Greek, it could be anywhere between 2,000 and 6,000. Because many demons had entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Even the demons don't want to go back to hell. 
They don't want to go back to where they're from. Now a herd of many swine were feeding there on a mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted it. Now the story goes that you've got about close to 2,000 pigs over there, and the demons go and enter them, and the pigs are like, oh, heck no. And, you know, <laughs> and, and they just run straight into the lake, right off the cliff. And one translation says they went off a cliff and killed themselves because they, they didn't want the demons inside of them. Then they, talking about the townspeople, went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed. Now check it out, guys, right here. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. One of the most beautiful transformation stories that you will read in the entire Bible. A man that had been tormented most of his life has been set free and Look at, the, look at what the evidence of the transformation. He's sitting at his feet, right? It's gonna come up for you, look at this right here. Sitting at his feet, clothed, in his right mind, desiring to be a follower of Christ, and his ultimate, remember, the ultimate is that he gets to share and deliver the good news to the whole city. I think for a lot of us, this is exactly for us today, that we need to spend some time at the feet of Jesus, that we need to be clothed in righteousness and clothed with the armor of God. Give me an amen. That we would be in our right mind, a renewed mind, a transfigured, transformed mind, metamorphal and ananeo, desiring to be a follower of Christ, and that, that, that we would be able to tell anybody or anybody that would listen, anybody that God would bring to us, that we could tell them the good news. We could tell them why there's such a difference in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. I did this this morning. In a second, I'm going to have a stand, but this is what I want to encourage you. I'm, I'm going to ask Lori to join me. But I feel like we're supposed to sit at the feet of Jesus today. It's 2024. And I feel like some of us, you know, I remember back in the 70s, I would see people come down the altar, and they're throwing cans of beer up there. They're throwing, they're throwing pornography up on the thing. They're getting ready. And for me... I literally this morning just set my phone down in front of God because I know I still got to get calls from Lori if she needs me to do something. But if there's anything in here that's caused me to miss him, if there's anything in my life, I just need to get back to what I know, and that is I don't want to be loose. I want to be solid in him, and I feel like some of us today just need to even maybe come down and just sit and be in the presence of God. This is about you and the Lord. This is not about prayer teams. This is, not, this is literally you and God taking some time, sitting at the feet of Jesus in your right mind, and spend that time with him. So, Lori, come on up here and join me. I'm going to be the first to sit, but, but as they begin to sing, why don't we all stand together? Let's just stand. For those of you that don't feel comfortable doing this, that's fine. You can worship with the worship team. But even for the media team, worship team, if there's anybody that wants to join us down here, we're just going to sit before the Lord. Let's spend some time with him.